be able to get to a place of this is who I am. I own it. And actually, I own it in a way that allows you to see it as an asset to you, whether it's the organization I'm working with or, or working for or any type of project that I'm working on. Welcome to Working Your Way, the podcast dedicated to unraveling the journey of being authentic in the workplace. I'm your host, Sandhya Sadakar, and today my guest is Neka Uday. Neka is a VP of strategy at Arc Worldwide, and she's also the owner and founder of Love Dot, a fashion company. And she's a children's book author. Really, Neka is a creative strategist who tells stories through fashion and creativity and data. She's multi-passionate and she's found different ways in her career to express herself in her creativity. In this episode, we talk about asking why, both externally in challenging contexts and ideas, even in rooms where you may be more junior. And we talk about asking why internally with ourselves to question the alignment of what we're doing. We also dive deep into talking about really owning who you are and what you bring to the table. I hope you could take away some inspiration for NECA's journey around this and just how you can step into it for yourself. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Welcome to the Working Your Way podcast, NECA. I'm really, really grateful to have you on today. I am super excited to be here as well. Thanks. So um, I would consider you a multi-passionate professional and you express yourself in so many different ways through so many different creative endeavors, through traditional work, through non-traditional work. And I want to get into all of that. But first, I'd love to start with what has your journey with authenticity looked like? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, Authenticity, I think it's such a buzzword now that it definitely still has meaning, but it definitely is something I have to think about or I always have to think about. It's like, what is authentic to me? And I think when you when I put it in the context of what it's meant to me, particularly personally, as well as professionally over the course of my life so far, it's about being able to show up Um not just fully, so to speak, but showing up in ways that you can be proud of at any given time. And that's both within the workplace, but also in your personal life as well, right? So I think part of authenticity is understanding that no can be a full sentence. Um, that why isn't a point of being combative, but just for clarity, right? Because I think oftentimes we put ourselves in places of compromise when something is asked of us, whether it's personally or professionally, and we're not comfortable with it, and we're not quite understanding why we need to do that, um, by questioning it, it seems like it's a bit of a challenge. And so what I've learned is that the why is an important part for me helping to reinforce and define authenticity for me so that I'm not embarking upon whether it's, you know, projects or engagements or just anything, right? Personal or professionally that doesn't quite align with my spirit, right? Um, because if it's not aligned, 
it's hard to really be exactly that authentic. It's hard to really give 100% of yourself to it. So for me, authenticity, I think, is about being able to be very confident in what it is that you're doing um, by being very clear about why you're doing it um, and being very open about cutting things off when they don't feel right, right? So that way you can fully show up as yourself, as the person who owns her perspective in the room um, that isn't afraid to share her voice on topics and also isn't afraid to sometimes be quiet (laughs) and not feel like I have to constantly um, share or give a perspective in the room um, just to be able to check the box to say I was here. Right. That's also a part of authenticity for me as well. So that's how I would define it for myself. And it kind of blurs the line between my personal and professional, because I I really think it's hard to separate the two out completely. Yeah, I I love the, the idea that like why is not a combative question and the way that you talked about it, it sounds like it's both an internal question of why am I doing this? Do I want to be doing this? Is this aligned with my values, my purpose? And an external question of give me the context as to why I need to do that work or what this step would mean in my career or those types of things. So was there a time when you didn't feel as comfortable asking that external why? I feel like a lot of the journey that I've been on professionally and personally has really kind of collided in the last couple of years of me just being a little bit more firm in who I am and how I see myself and how how I want to show up to be proud of me in those moments. And so I can honestly say, like, it's not like I've been that person from the very beginning, um, first job out of college or even mid-career, where I was really confident about my voice or confident about asking questions, um, stating no or being able to be the no but or the yes and, you know, like the nice little phrases that we like to say are very much so conducive to our own career growth. I think part of that has been the fact that, like, I mean, I obviously I'm a, a, a Black woman who has been largely in a lot of white corporate spaces. And there are certain perceptions that you are constantly thinking about um, in terms of how people are perceiving you in moments. And that was very, very much so my narrative and a narrative of a lot of women like me, um, probably up until maybe about five, six years ago, where it was really about like, okay, so if I raise my hand and ask why, I'm almost giving myself a point of a bit of anxiety to think about how I should even ask why, because I don't want anybody to think that I'm being combative or that I'm being angry or that I don't want to do the work and I'm just being lazy, which is never the case. I would understand the thinking because that's how I work, right? I work by you not telling me what to do. I work by you giving me an objective and allowing me to then define how to get it done, right? I don't need my hand held. I'm very independent. I'm kind of a tell me what needs to get done and get the hell out of my way type person because I can build the team. I can figure out how to collaborate. I can figure out how to avoid people to get things done or like the work around folks, I guess you can say. Um, so it's, it's, it, it was really 
the challenge of who I am and how I knew I could work and having permission to be able to do that in a very impactful and effective way against this notion or really a very clear um, cultural perception of how Black women are, right? And Black women are in corporate spaces and always, you know, thinking about like how I'm going to be perceived or reputation being created around me that is not truly who I am. And so it was really hard. It was really hard early on. Um, I was lucky enough in my career early on to be put into some roles that were above and beyond where I should have been for both my age as well as my experience. But I had people who were pretty senior look at me and say, oh, no, I remember working with you when you were fresh out of college and how you did things a little differently. And I want to bring you back into this organization to be able to work under me to, you know, launch a new agency within IPG at the time and sit between kind of everyone else in the organization that is essentially my peers, as well as the remaining executive leadership that was there. Um, And that was difficult because... One, I was inexperienced. Two, I'm a big proponent of just trying to figure things out. But three, because I had those two elements of like not having the experience and also being very aware of like where I sat from a seniority perspective, as well as my own kind of insecurities about the work that I was trying to get done, it really did lead me to a place of not feeling like I could really tr- truly show up as my true self because I was worried about, well, if I'm able to kind of, if I need to drive home an issue or, you know, make an objective a real set of outcomes, how do I do that without coming across as being too pushy or coming across as being, you know, too kind of, demanding on teams or giving objectives or, you know, laying out plans that, quite frankly, people weren't aligned to, but may perceive my confidence in what I had to deliver as being something that was a little bit um, forceful, right? Um, And that's just perceptions that women in general have to deal with, but I think is an added layer on it when you are a woman of color, particularly a Black woman in corporate spaces. Um, and don't let age work for you or against you in some situations, right? Whether you're too young to have an opinion or, you know, you're at a point where you're kind of maturing um, and are full of confidence. But now it's the lack of appreciation or respect for the experience that you have being a more mature individual in your career at that point. So, yeah, it's 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 taken me a while to kind of get here. And I think that some of it has also helped the shift that we, I think, have experienced from a more cultural perspective in the last couple of years as more, you know, social movements have come to the forefront, um, almost making it politically incorrect, so to speak, to mute people's voices in the workplace or not value the experiences that they are bringing out into work from their outside worlds, right? So whether that's based on their ethnicity or race or gender or, you know, religious background. Um, so that's helped as well. But it's, it's taken a while. It's taken a while to be able to get to a place of this is who I am. I own it. And actually, I own it in a way that allows you to see it as an asset to you. 
whether it's the organization I'm working with or, or working for or any type of project that I'm working on. As Neka is sharing her experiences early in her career, it's really highlighting this dance between showing up fully and holding things back. And for her, she was pulled into this room where someone saw what she could contribute, and yet there are so many factors that cause her to hold back her questions or her opinions. Being younger, being female, being black, and really the intersectionality of it all sent her some clear messages that what she had to say or the way she wanted to approach approach things better better be really good. And I know I had an experience where um, earlier in my career, a leader saw something in me and he, he wanted to promote me into a role that I thought was really early for me to take on. And it felt uncomfortable. And I remember getting the advice that really set me at ease. And it was, they're not going to give you something you're not ready for. Sometimes leaning into what other people see in you can help us then show up to that opportunity. But we have to connect to what that is. Maybe we can connect to what they see in us, even if we don't see it in ourselves at first. When you said um, there were a couple of times where you were pulled into roles where maybe you were at face value, um, less experienced or younger or those types of things, it sounds like that was a combination of you doing things differently and doing things your own way and having that kind of unique genius and people who recognize the value in that and kind of pulled you into those roles. Is that fair to say? Very fair. And then the this kind of what you described is what I would call kind of a combination of like the mental gymnastics and the emotional labor of like constantly worrying about what is someone going to think of this thing that I say, how am I being perceived at all times, kind of like carrying that around. It's a lot. And I wonder for you at those moments in your career, what did that feel like? For you, or what was the impact oh, it to your was well-being? Overwhelming. Like I, so like the backstory is when I first started my career in advertising, I wound up getting a job at an agency that was very niche in its focus from a media perspective. Um, it, it was very focused in newsprint, so <laughs> newspaper advertising, and not like the run of paper, but like those inserts that used to get stuffed into the Sunday paper. <laughs> you remember those? Love um, it. I remember those. <laughs> billion dollar industry, right? Um, yeah. But me getting into that role, and it was my first, it took me like a year out of college to be able to find a job in advertising. So I was just happy to be in the room. Um, but also it was the frequency of seeing different types of projects coming through, but also me just wanting to really be good at the job. Like that's the, <laughs> the Capricorn trait, right? Like I need to be um, really good. I need to be the best um, that I can be at whatever it is that I'm touching or committed to doing. And so I will go above and beyond. And I still do in a lot of ways. But that above and beyond got me the recognition of, at the time, the VP of Business Development, as well as the president of the division, who were both men who were considered to be really hard to please. Um, and it got me noticed because they would literally call and say, yeah, that work that you did, that was that was really good. Like, who, who did this? Um, and so that was a really great, great thing. Um, but 
for me, um, being in that space, in that role, uh, it was a lot of great recognition. But essentially what wound up happening is I decided, you know, I wanted to move forward in my career. I left for a year to um, enroll in the MBA program. And during that year, it was a big pivot that happened in the agency. And uh, from that core agency, it was like a spinoff or a boutique agency that was being born. And the person who was a head of business development was now the CEO. And he reached back and was like, I need really good people. And pulled me back to say, come back and work for us. And I had no idea what it was that I was doing. Um, it was a completely different offering. It was kind of akin to what we see now from a digital hyper-targeted um, media type of programmatic offering, but across a lot of different media channels and touch points. And they were built, they were literally like little like pioneers within the advertising agency world are trying to figure something out. So everybody was trying to figure it out. The difference was, is that I was working under men in their forties who had been essentially VPs and presidents of different types of brands and companies who had a lot of bravado and confidence in what they were doing and were leaning on me to be their gopher to help get things done. And because I am the person who wants to do really well in whatever it is that I touch, but also will try to do what I can to figure things out, what that left me was in a state of like utter anxiety, right? Like I was at a place where I would come home and I could not decompress because I didn't want to ask questions of what was being asked of me all the time because I didn't feel empowered or, and it wasn't them. It was just me being in a room of like, I'm the youngest person here. One, first of all, <laughs> I'm the youngest person here. I'm a black woman from the South side of Chicago. Um, half of the conversation, the general chit chat that was going on in the rooms I was in, um, I, did, I couldn't even relate to, right? Like I had no experiences around, you know, golfing in New England or, you know, going to the, like, I, I mean, that being, funny, but it was just a, it was a very big difference. So I just kind of was feeling very out of it. And also like, I won't lie. It wasn't like everybody in the room. I had been hand uh, selected by one person and had two other people in the room that had worked with me before. Right. And the rest of that team, he had the, the CEO at the time had recently built and they were coming from IBM and Deloitte, all these big kind of heady men who are like, well, why is she here? <laughs> right. So I was at a place of just trying to figure out, oh, hell, why am I here? It's clearly something that someone sees in me, but I didn't recognize that at the time. I just wanted to do really well. And I wanted to do well enough to show that I can do the job, but not, I couldn't, I didn't feel empowered to ask the questions that I needed to ask because I felt like it would expose the fact that I didn't know. Not realizing at the time that everybody in the room knew I didn't know. <laughs> and nobody was expecting for me to know. People were expecting for me to ask smart questions or to be able to help figure it out. And what ultimately I would do was be able to ask smart questions of the per I found the person in the room that I felt was the most relatable, easiest to talk to. Cause there's always one, right? There's always one person in the room that everybody loves and likes and knows how to communicate with a lot of people. And I would literally go and sit in his office and have just the most mundane conversations about anything from my MBA program to whatever it was that was going on that I read in the New York Times. And then was sneaking a question around just to get some perspective that can guide how I could do the work, right? 
And so I kind of found ways around it, but it caused me so much anxiety. And when I say anxiety, like I would literally leave work and like do things like, okay, I'm going to go and watch a movie just to kind of calm myself down, calm myself down and would get in the movie and I could not focus on the screen in front of me. I was running scenarios in my head about the stuff that had to get done. It didn't also help the fact that I was in my MBA program part-time. So it was like almost a beautiful combination of both being able to see the things that I was learning in class play out in real corporate life, but also an overwhelming combination too. Because I just never felt like I had time. I would have moments where I would just break down, just crying for absolutely no reason. Um, Not at work, but like in my quote unquote off time where I'm trying to balance between getting things done in my day job, but also trying to do well in school at the same time. So it was a lot, it was an awful lot. And I think that what it also did was complicate any if I had and I did have um, imposter syndrome, and I think everybody has it when you first start off in places, um, if I had it at a level 10, it shot up to like a level 100 in those years that I was working there um, because I just, I put too much of a, put too much burden on myself as if I had to know because I didn't want to be seen as a fraud or, you know, live up to whatever stereotype people may have in their heads. Um, and that was that was a challenge for me. So, yeah, it, was, it had a yeah. really big impact on me physically, um, emotionally. It, and it's because I was really young and I was trying to figure it out. And every little moment felt like it was a little knock on my confidence in terms of my ability to really show up the way I wanted to. And it wasn't so much that I wasn't doing the work well. It was the fact that I wasn't doing it up to the standard that I had created for myself. Mm. I've learned like, to be kind to myself in the years since. Yeah, your standards for the work that you do are so high. And yet you had this really interesting experience of like, nobody knew the answers in that room, in any room in that company. You were you were forging a new path in the industry and and still it was like this thing of like, oh, all these people have these really impressive backgrounds and I don't want to show up like I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. And th- I think that's part of the the challenge and the myth. And I, I, I think that um, even today, and I tell this to um, the people that I wind up mentoring because I've always... I've always mentored, um, even when I was in a point in my career where I was like, what do I have to tell people? But whatever I know, I'm willing to share. So (laughs) the biggest, I think, myth is that everyone in the room that's more senior than you knows exactly what they're doing. And I think part of leadership is not necessarily needing to know what you're doing. It's about, one, being able to pull the right cast of characters that can help you make smart decisions. Um, Two, about listening. And three, about leveraging experiences that you've had to date to be able to create a blueprint and a rallying cry for people to get behind. And the moment you recognize that, that that's really the dynamic that's happening, is not to undercut any type of leadership that's in the, like anybody in the leadership role in the room to say that they don't know what they're doing. It's about being able to strategically leverage your voice to bring a perspective that they could add into the mix of how they want to approach something, um, but also learning from the experiences that they have and trying to understand how they go about making decisions, right? Um, because there is something very valuable about 
you know, I mean, it was also something very true for me at the time. Like I didn't have the experience. I knew nothing. I was in a room full of people who knew everything. I should have been better about asking questions of those individuals in a way that was about me learning in the moment, right? Versus me assuming that I had to know and I had to give a perspective um, to prove my value as to why I was there. And that was not what I needed to do, right? And so even now I know that, right? Like I sit in a room right now and I'm looking at the person I report into and CEO of my company and they're all brilliant, smart Women with tons of experience have built and done things in amazing ways. I know there's moments that they may not always know exactly this is a definite answer to something, but I also know at this point it's about me asking smart questions, giving a perspective, and learning from how they lead to understand why they make the decisions that they, they make, right? Not to challenge, not to undercut, but to really learn in those moments because that's also part of what leadership is. Okay, so we have to talk about this myth, the myth that leaders or the more senior members of our team know it all. In NECA's experience, all of these very accomplished people, they were all new to this particular business, business model or type of work. It was new to everybody. So despite the titles that they had, was anybody in the room really the authority on that thing? No. We can hold ourselves back for a lot of different reasons in this kind of context, right? Contributing our opinions and our ideas. We may think that the people higher up the chain or the people that have been there longer know all the answers. Or maybe we think that if we speak up, it's going to come across as us questioning their competence or questioning their authority. Or we might even just be worried about opening our mouths in a room and saying an incorrect thing or saying the wrong thing. And the reality is that in most cases, there really isn't a right or wrong answer anyway. In most of the business problems that we deal with, there are many possibilities. And so holding ourselves back actually really limits the innovation that comes from the diversity of thoughts and ideas in the room. If you're one of these senior leaders in those rooms, I want you to think about how can you make space proactively? And I mean really proactively. You may think that you pause and ask for questions or pause and ask for ideas, but figure out a system to really help everybody share the air and voice their opinions and have a turn that gives them the opportunity to get their perspective out on the table for those newer, younger people or people that are different from you. If you're in that position of power, make the space proactively. Don't assume that people don't have an opinion if they're silent. And if you're one of those people who's afraid to share or contribute, I want you to think about how can you recognize that the way you think is different and That is what makes you valuable in that room. Your differences of opinions, your difference of perspective in looking at a problem is a thing that's going to contribute and make the business solution better. If we can find ways to do this, our unique ideas can actually lead to better business decisions and stronger strategies. 
What were some of the things that, and maybe it was just timing and circumstance, but what were the things that helped you overcome or at least kind of harness that anxiety? I think I'm still learning how to harness it, to be honest with you. Um, It just doesn't show up the same way. Like, I think, well, for me, I have learned the power of owning my own voice and respecting the differences in the room. Which means that if I'm doing that for others, then the same needs to be done for me, right? And the moment I recognize that there's something of value and this is like an epiphany I think I had in 2016, which I always say is a extremely pivotal year for me um, because of just a lot of personal things that I went through that really changed my perspective and just how I approach a lot of things in life and career and all the things that come along with that. Um, but the moment I realized that there is something that is unique about the experiences that I've had to date in my life that people can benefit from and you cannot take away from me and they have shaped me in a very powerful way. Um, and they also shape how my approach and what I bring to the table and the perspective that I yield in a room. And ultimately, you know, we are marketers. We are people who are there to understand culture and consumers through a very broad lens. And what has happened a lot is the fact that, quite frankly, a lot of our broader understanding from an industry perspective of people, culture, and consumers have really been aligned through the viewpoint, a very narrow lens of people from the outside viewing in, right? Versus people who are immersed in those spaces or are able to navigate different spaces in a very authentic and humble, authentic, and and immersive way, right? Those voices have been muted for a long time, but they bring something really powerful to the room versus those who are just kind of looking at what's happening around them through one lens of their own experiences. And what I realized six, seven years ago is like, no, we need to be able to have multiple vantage points as we talk about a topic, right? And a part of having multiple vantage points is me not being afraid of the experiences in the life and the being that I am and bringing that fully to the table to ask the right questions or put a different perspective out there that needs to be respected. Because quite frankly, it is a perspective, especially now, that really matches probably 75% of the broader population in terms of just a different POV that may exist from someone who may be, you know, a Gen Xer or boomer of, you know, a certain background lived in suburbia and is not necessarily connected to other experiences that that may have come from, you know, being a part of a, you know, immigrant and American background, living in the South side of Chicago, um, traveling the world, interfacing with different cultures, understanding and connecting the dots in different ways, right? Like I've begun to own more of, what makes me me. And that in itself was allowed me to be able to like, just speak in a room, put my perspective on a table, not as law, but as a very clear set of experiences that once I did that, what I realized was that other people in the room either had similar experiences or something completely different that wasn't matching the, the, 
the core POV that was being being shared. And so the moment I started to kind of tune in a little bit more and recognize more of those moments of, oh, I spoke up when the room was going in one direction. And when I spoke up and bringing something different to the table, it gave someone else the courage to speak up, right? It was like, well, why am I so anxious about sharing my voice as if I'm the only person that feels this way or have had these set of experiences or see things through a different vantage point when it's other people in the room who feel the same way, they're just waiting for somebody else to say it, right? So it's like a little bit of that, like, oh, like the little revelation of like, no, no, no. There's something here. There's something powerful about not just you having a voice, but you being able to do things differently that people can really appreciate and that you have to appreciate it first for people to appreciate it. This is such a powerful realization that NECA had. And it ties back to what we talked about earlier. Your authentic self, your experiences, your ways of thinking and working and communicating are the things that bring value into the room. And so they aren't things to be ashamed of. And understandably, when those things aren't visible or represented in the room, we don't always feel like we have permission to bring them to the table, or we may see that there's a lack of those things in the room, and therefore we don't think that they're welcome. But as much as we can lean into our individuality and our uniqueness and recognize that it is actually a superpower, it can help you do work that nobody else can do. Your brain is a muscle, right? In the same way we've allowed limiting thoughts or perceived circumstances to kind of bring fear and anxiety into our hearts and our brains and how we function. It's the same way you can allow, you know, thoughts of abundance and impact and confidence and courage to also be woven into how you think and how you function to be able to impact a room or really kind of overcome those negative forces that kind of quiet us and keep us from really embracing the fullness of who we are, what we're meant to be, and even encouraging others to do the same, right? A lot of the times people like, particularly women of color, Black women, highlight um, key executives that have rose to the ranks in the last couple of years as their inspirations just to be more of themselves, like a Bozema St. John. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. Because the moment people saw her be who she is and who she's always been, it sounds like since reading her biography, since she was a really young young woman, um, just kind of rise, you know, from what seems like out of nowhere, but it's been a very long <laughs> career. Um, yeah. The moment you had like a North Star, like, oh, wait, someone is, someone is being themselves. It was almost like an unlock of giving people permission. Right. But what we don't realize is that we all have that power to be someone else's unlock in a room that, you know, someone like a Bozeman St. John may never even step into. Right. So what are you doing in those moments to be someone else's unlock? Well, you have to first believe enough in your own voice to give someone else the courage and the confidence to be able to speak up in a room and bring a different perspective to the table. Yeah, she is one of my, I would say, authenticity icons um, yeah. because she is just so boldly mm -hmm. herself and even from you know that those days of like redlining what spike lee's like manuscript or something. right like, just being like, like that I was bold to say 
really, really bold um, and and amazing and and got her moved into other jobs eventually. So yeah, see, I yeah, mm, I'm, I'm still getting to that place now. But <laughs> it's like, Spike Lee, oh my god! But yeah, yeah. Okay, I have to jump in here to fangirl a little bit about Bosma St. John. She is one of my authenticity icons and truly a dream guest for this podcast. If you don't know her, go look her up. She has an amazing book called The Urgent Life and has done lots of talks and has lots of great uh, thought leadership out there around how she's navigated her career. And I love her sense of self-expression and how she uses her appearance, her clothes, her makeup, her hair to really express her individuality, to show her power quite literally. And I really love how she's leaned into what she wants in her career. She's actually truly navigated her career by choosing roles based on what she wanted to get out of it. And I don't mean that in a status or title or resume building kind of way in terms of, oh, if I take this job, it'll get me to here. It's in this really deep-rooted sense of meaning kind of way. And what is the value that I can put into the world by doing this role? How can I tap into this change that I want to bring about in the world in this opportunity. And she's taken some roles that are uh, maybe not super attractive on paper or at times in companies where there were some really big challenges, but she did it because she was so connected to who she is and what she wants to, how she wants to impact the world, what she wants her legacy to be. So here I am putting it out into the universe uh, truly, as I was creating this podcast, she was one of very few people I had in mind as like, this would be the epitome of the type of guests that I would want to bring on. And um, if anyone's out there who can help me make that happen, call me. <laughs> yeah. So what I'm hearing you talk about, too, is like, it's it's embracing the like, I walk into the room and I have inherent value because of my lived experiences, because of who I am, because of the way I think, because of not just the work that I produce, but like kind of that internal core of mm-hmm. I I don't need to prove I belong in the room anymore right. because I know that I do. It's like this grounded confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, what are... What are some things that you do on days where maybe that's not showing up as strongly as you would want it to? I'm honest about it. Um, I think what has happened for a lot of people, and I know this for myself, but I'm assuming for other people, is that the last couple of years of working from home in your own environment where you're naturally comfortable and you have a little bit of protection of being behind the screen it's allowed more people to feel a little bit more emboldened about their voice and owning it both in terms of what they want to say and the impact that they want to have in the room, but also owning those moments where it's like, look, I've got a lot going on. I may not be as clearly articulating my point as I would like right now, um, but I can totally, you know, 
get at least a little bit of what I'm thinking across and follow up in the next conversation when I am a little bit more on it and being very honest and transparent about that. Right. And I think that's been the beauty of, you know, a lot of not so great things came out of the pandemic, but one of the things for me that was at least really great was getting comfortable, even more comfortable than I think I would have been if we're still kind of in our normal pre-2020 routines of five days a week in office, having to switch gears all like very quickly throughout the day because you're in meetings all day about different topics, different projects, X, Y, and Z. Getting out of those meetings, four o'clock, have an hour to decompress, coming home, cooking dinner for your family, and then getting back online at night to actually do the work. That's a lot. That's an awful lot that a lot of people who were in these corporate roles were really dealing with in terms of how they had to kind of work and function. And so being able to now have a global excuse as to why <laughs> you may have moments where it's like, okay, guys, like I, I just can't right now where we're all feeling it and it made us all human and it made it become a balance between like, yeah, work is not life. Work is work. Right. And it became more acceptable, which I always thought this was so weird. I have never believed that if you have something going on in your personal life, that you can compartmentalize that in such a way where it never bleeds into your professional life. That has always been bullshit to me, period. Even before the pandemic, like I remember in 2013, 2012, 2013, um, still super young. And my mom had been diagnosed with cancer for the first time. And, you know, I'm on this trying to figure out career stuff. I just graduated from grad school. Um, I was really trying to figure out where I was going to be living, looking for jobs outside of Chicago. And then I get hit with this cancer diagnosis from my mom and she and I were like thick as thieves. And I was like, there's no way in the world that I'm going to, you know, put my career above you. And so it became a moment of like, okay, I got to slow things down a little bit. But I was so petrified of being able to say something at work. Um, around the fact that she was dealing with this. And that meant like me going back and forth to the hospital. I'm like, I'm just like, I don't want to lose my job. Um, and what wound up happening is I'm trying to mask the fact that I have this thing going on over here um, that is pretty major in my life and still get the work done, still be focused. And my boss at the time literally called me in the office. It was just like, what's going on? And I didn't say anything at first. I had my laptop open trying to walk through some stuff. And he literally closed the laptop on me. And this is what empathetic leadership looks like. It was like, what is going on? And I started crying. I was like, my mom is diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what to do. And he's like, you need to take some time. And it wound up me literally taking six to nine months off of work. I took a leave to be able to like pivot and go home and really focus on helping my mom, who was also taking care of my grandparents. So like literally <laughs> taking on the care of three people at the same time. And that in itself was a wake up call of like, there's no way in the world that if you're going through something major, and this wasn't me going through it. Like I didn't have cancer. My mom had it. My grandfather was sick and in a whole hospital room almost set up in his home because we were all taking care of him. Um, 
But these are people around me, my extended, my family, my extended family that needed help. So how in the world is it when someone becomes sick, whether they have cancer or the loss of a child or something impactful in their lives, now still trying to show up for work as their full selves or just give 80%, 50%, right? When you have such a looming challenge burden on your heart and grief is a process that nobody talks about, but it can take you out, right? Grief is not something to be played with um, in any way, right? And so I've never been one to believe that you can have, you can compartmentalize your life in that way. That's very robotic. It's very capitalist focused. And it's BS. <laughs> Put all, all your humanity away and just show up. Right. As if nothing's I, happening. As if nothing is happening in your world. And like you're gonna show up and you still like be able to engage with your coworkers in the same way. Like, look, at some point you nitpicking about something trivial where I have this heavy weight over here that you yeah. can't see, I don't care. <laughs> right? Like and, and like and it's how like how do you say that? How do you even communicate that? So when it comes down to it, what 2020 did and the pandemic did was give people, it humanized corporate corporate culture in a way where it's like, look, we're all dealing with things. We're still going to get the work done, have a little bit more empathy. And so that's always what I believe has been needed, right? Mm-hmm. And so this idea of being able to always have to show up and always have to be perfect and be on it, like, no, that's inauthentic in itself. So I'm honest. Having a yeah. rough day. This is kind of how I'm thinking about it. I can follow up tomorrow. I'm just completely honest about it. And I pick no, if you have an issue with that, check your own humanity at the door. It's not my problem. But I have to be honest about it. I think, too, like this idea of I have to say the one thing in the room and this one opportunity, right? For you, it looks like giving yourself some grace, naming it, right? Being honest about it and saying, like, Mm -hmm. none of this stuff is so important that... I have one opportunity to give my point of view. Like I can follow up later. I can add to it. I can, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, we can have that conversation separately. Right. I think it's that pressure. Oftentimes we do put on ourselves in, you know, in, and in it's a, unfair. In workplace. It's unfair and it's unfortunate that we do that to ourselves. But some of that has been the kind of corporate culture. And I'm pretty sure it still exists in certain industries. Like I can only yeah. imagine what things are like in like, finance or more, you know, government driven spaces. But overall, what I have seen is like a wave of more empathetic leadership and more humanity come into the spaces that I've at least worked in. And I can truly appreciate it because I think it's needed. It's absolutely needed. I want to talk a little bit about your, um, I don't, I won't even call them creative endeavors because I think these are full fledged other careers or career aspects that you have around, you know, you're the owner and founder of Blood Dot, a fashion company, you're a children's book author, you have all these ways that through your work, you're able to express yourself. What do those mean to you? What what role do those different ventures play in your overall career? Whew. Um, they mean a lot to me. I think that what I've been on a quest for, for quite some time, is ways to bring the core pieces of my identity and my passions to the forefront in a way that the world can appreciate, but not just about 
people other people appreciating them but also about like empower empowering and educating people at the same time and the through line for me from a career perspective is that at the core of who I am is a storyteller now whether that's using data or leveraging you know what I'm seeing out in the world as a as a strategist because I don't think I can ever really turn that hat off of like connecting the dots and observing people and culture um but really using that as a way of how do I solve more human perception-driven challenges that may be out there. And that's at the core of what I think I'm doing and I see myself as doing with the creative endeavors that I am engaged in because they allow me to do it in a way that's different from what I do from a more corporate kind of day job perspective for the brands that I work for. And so when I think about what I'm building with Love Dot, it is almost a pure representation of who I am as a person, right? I am a diaspora baby. My mom is from Mississippi. My father's Nigerian. Um, there's always been like this significant disconnect even in my own family of understanding the two sides very clearly, but also understanding that we are both kind of pulling from each other, from a culture and, you know, overall kind of essence of who we are. And when I look at Love Dot and the power of what I think really lies within the broader African diaspora, I don't feel like there's a need to have a lot of outside anything to be able to pull ourselves up in a powerful way. There's a lot of creativity, a lot of innovation that's happening, particularly in the space of fashion, but just generally from a lifestyle perspective as well, that I'm like, I want to showcase this. I love design. I love being able to pull from what I see or seen as a kid of like having my stepfather being Yoruba, right? Like a lot of the things that are part of both cultures from a Nigerian perspective, but also it's very much so resonated in being here in the U.S. and growing up more so on my mom's side of the family and looking at, you know, things that are just curious and unique and also being very entrepreneurial on that side too. And so Love Dot for me is just a continuation of that. It's about me being able to build a company that is, you know, all built in Africa, that's leveraging um, local resources from other small businesses. So whether it's sustainably sourcing our cottons and our textiles from small businesses that's in Ghana and Togo or Benin to collaborating with other emerging designers who are really trying to figure out, like, how do I actually get myself out there and leveraging my skill set to say, hey, I understand this consumer base. I feel like there's a lot of, like, elements of, like, this being just culture and innovation and creativity forward that we can like really push to a broader audience and really centering something that's around from a fashion perspective that's really centered around the beauty of being Black and African and what that looks like on a more global stage. Um, So when I think about it, it's like it's just taking everything I'm really passionate about of being able to reframe narratives and connect the dots and connect culture in a different way, but using fashion as a way of being able to do so um, and using it in a way that does it with very clear intention, right, of I'm going to empower other small Black and African-owned businesses in the process of creating my own business. I'm going to go and dive back into traditional techniques like batik making in Ghana, which is all handmade um, and takes a lot of skill to understand how to do that from a 
um, leveraging, you know, the right combination of dyes or creating the stamps and all that other other components of what it goes into making that type of fabric. Um, but really celebrating those things, right, and telling the stories that are behind those those pieces that are actually being made. Um, but doing it in a way that feels like when you're buying something, you're not just buying it because it's coming from a small business, but you're supporting multiple small businesses and something that's made with intention and it's unique, right? You're never going to find that again. And I think there's something very beautiful about our stories. Our stories are unique and they've never been celebrated, whether it's in fashion or if it's just seeing yourself in the written word. And so when it comes down to the children's book piece, it's like I'm not yet a mother is something I aspire and truly hope happens for me in my lifetime. But at the same time, I'm looking at what I do in my day job of how we don't understand the impact of seeing images of black and black and brown people in commercials or black families or Hispanic or Asian families being the core um you know group that's either in a movie or a commercial or advert in any way. Um, and the impact that it has when you actually do see it, right? So think about what that happen, what happens when you're a young kid reading books about families or books around topics and you never see yourself represented. And for me, that was, you know, it's just connecting the dots again. It's about being able to elevate and bring that sense of not even creativity, but just like reframing and rewriting narratives in a way that really reflects where the population is going, but also pulling from a global community to be able to make those things happen, right? And being able to really really reflect how we show up in society. So I just feel like the things that I do outside of work are just a, a full-on extension of what I'm most passionate about and it also ties to what I kind of do full time already. Um, but it allows me to do it in a way that's more ownable to me. It's like I, I see something that needs to be addressed and I want to go and create a solution to solve for it. And fortunately for me, a lot of the solutions that I tend to create or want are are trying to build out are ones that are really anchored on culture, creativity. Um, and, and in some ways data too, but really cultural creativity and really connecting or elevating, you know, how people of the African diaspora really see themselves. I'm really curious, how does, like, uh, first of all, I imagine this work is lots and lots of work, but also incredibly deeply fulfilling for you mm-hmm. to do these other things and have this expression and tell people stories and bring things to life that I mean, you're truly creating and co-creating. And um, I'm curious how, how that impacts how you show up or how you think about your corporate career since you've started love dot, how has that changed the way you look at your corporate jobs, roles, experience? Um, I, that's a good question. Cause it's one that I'm, deeply reflecting on right now and have been for the last like maybe year or so. I think the biggest shift that I've seen for myself is that I don't lack ambition in anything. I'm just not as hungry for the titles as I was before. Because I think part of the hunger for titles is this sense of like, oh, I'm getting ahead, but it's really about the title defining your value in a space. And for me, 
I don't think any organization can define my value in a space any longer. And I think it has it essentially helped me get there by being able to create my own spaces that I'm leaning into in my free time. So the title itself is not something that defines me. Now, do I still want to get ahead and do I still give 100% to what I am doing? Absolutely. Um, what has shifted for me is that I want to be more connected to work or work-related experiences on the projects that I'm working on that allow me to grow and being very intentional about that. And a part of that growth is about leaning into the spaces that one, I think are connected to the future, which for me is very much so data and tech related. Um, But two, challenge me in different ways in terms of how I need to be and show up as a leader. So there's still a lot that you learn on the corporate side when you're trying to do it for yourself from entrepreneurial lens as well, right? Because over here, you have a set of processes and um, tools and support that you don't have over here as an entrepreneur. You got to build it out, right? And so how do you learn from one, pull from one to be able to influence the other? But at the same time, on my entrepreneurial side, I'm pulling from that immensely. And some of that pull is more just the spirit of who I am, being very entrepreneurial in the roles that I have from a corporate perspective. But that kind of, I can get things done. I know how to like make fast, smart decisions while also listening to people because I have to do it over here as an entrepreneur um, without any kind of board of directors to help me kind of figure it out. Pulling that into these corporate environments where you now have unfortunately a culture of sometimes people not really wanting to take the risk of saying like this is how we're going to do it because nobody wants to be wrong i don't care about being wrong (laughs) like i will i mean nobody wants to be wrong but at the same time it's like not wanting to be wrong create a lot of paralysis where nothing gets done right and so you put a stake in the ground and I, i think i learned a lot of that from being over here creating and doing these things where i had to independently put a stake in the ground and get it done so they pull and feed from each other. Um, I think the critical question for me is like, which one are you going to fully want to invest in the next five to six years? Um, because, I mean, yes, it, I wear multiple hats. And from the outside looking in, people think that I do it well. <laughs> I know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I insider information, it's really effing hard. <laughs> it's fucking hard. Um, and also, you know, I'm still trying to have a life, right? Yeah. Um, so, and it, it, it's been, this has been a testament of discipline for me, like, which I'm still working on. Like, how do I get disciplined enough where I can compartmentalize? And I know it's possible because I've seen women my age group, maybe a little younger, do it, right? Have the full-time yeah. corporate job um, while building their influencer brand that then translate it into their own, you know, fashion or jewelry or accessories brand, right? So, yeah. like, I'm seeing it happen, right? So, I know it's possible, but you have to be very disciplined. You have to be beyond wasting your time on trivial matters. Um, and some of that trivial matter could be, you know, social media, 
I do feel very disconnected from the world outside of my Instagram strolling, which needs to stop and probably will <laughs> soon. It's not um, the best way, but oh, it's a way. Oh my God. It, it, it's a way, right? But like I've, I've cut a lot of things out. I've been very intentional about how I spend my time. Um, I can be more intentional, to be honest with you. Um, but it is something that I'm trying to figure out, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of growth that I gain from being gainfully employed in an organization that values and values the diversity of my experiences, values what I bring to the table to the point where are open to constantly giving me opportunities to challenge myself, right? That they benefit from, don't get me wrong, but also it allows me to challenge and bring the various points of experiences that I've had over the years to the forefront to create something new and fresh and interesting for for our clients. Um, But at the same time, there is a balance of, well, you know, you're also very passionate about the solutions and the the options that you want to put out into the world. So when do the two kind of get to a place where they're just conflicting? They're not there yet. But um, yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure how to fully answer that because it is something I'm pondering and I'm not the only one. It's a lot of us out here who are trying to do this kind of balancing act. And yeah, it's 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 a challenge. It definitely is a challenge. Well, I think, you know, you you named it earlier of like, I appreciate you bringing the honesty to the forefront of, yeah, I'm doing these things. I'm from the outside looking in and I make it look easy. (laughs) Multiple businesses and, you know, doing these creative things. And you have a really, um, what I would call a very diverse lifestyle in terms of like being in spaces with different types of people and having that kind of um, stimulus and, and, and the output that you create. So I think that's really amazing. And thank you for naming it transparently to say it's really hard to keep all the balls in the air. And that hard. there's value in both the corporate part of your career and the entrepreneurial part of your career. And so that's a, a, a next step for you in terms of yes. and I want to make sure like, like. <laughs> that value is well beyond a paycheck. Right. Because if yeah. you're being really honest, especially if you're working for a good company, um, that value is about how do you continue to define yourself as a leader? How do you understand, especially if that company is, oh, sorry, a good company, but also you're working on projects that are related to or somewhere similar to the other things that you may be interested in, right? And so for me, like, Love Dot is a brand, but it's also, you know, it's e-commerce and retail, right? And I'm still very much so working in a shopper and e-commerce space. And there's a lot still to be learned. And it's like, I'm learning while I'm building and I'm taking the two and I'm almost like cross-pollinating at any given time. And it does get to a place of like, okay, so this is well beyond the fact that like, this is about like title and getting paid is about the fact that I'm learning something that is like feeling me in a lot of different ways. So it's, 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 it's interesting. I I'm still trying to figure that one out. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> that's a great note to wrap up on, um, to say, you know, we're all we're still learning and growing and, uh, what your career means to you will be ever evolving. I hope. Yes. 
for sure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on. We'll put um, the link to Love Dot in your book in the show notes so people can find those things if they're interested in exploring them further. Um, Thank you so much for being on and, and sharing your story and your experience with everybody. Thank you for having me. And thank you also for creating this platform. Because I would honestly say there's not a lot enough, I would say, transparent conversations about this new work culture that we find ourselves in, um, which is balancing between building someone else's thing or, as they like to say, or working a corporate job versus actually going after your passions and trying to figure out how to turn them into something fruitful and profitable for you, right? Um, and I think a lot of people kind of associate that with like more of a Gen Z. Like I have five things, right? I need a, something that's going to make me money, something that's going to keep me, you know, passionate, something that's going to be a hobby. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. But at the end of the day, like people are still like bleeding into both all those worlds and they're not compartmentalizing in that very kind of clear meme type way. And so being able to have more transparent conversations about what that looks like from those who are trying to figure it out themselves, I think creates space <laughs> for people to yeah. feel as if they're less less um, less crazy. Take some of the anxiety out of their process to know that they're not alone as they try to seek their ambition while also earn a living at the same time. So thank you. This is amazing. 1,000% agree. It it. No one has it all figured out. We're all just learning along the way and sharing it with people is helpful. So thank you Mm -hmm. for doing that. No problem. Thank you. Uh, There were just truly so many gems in this episode. So much of what we talked about today was about recognizing the inherent value that you bring to the table just by being you. And it is truly one of my favorite things to talk about. It's it's why I started my business, Self at Work. Sometimes these unique things about ourselves are hard to see because we live in these minds and these bodies all day and every day. And so this is where assessments can actually kind of help us. They They can give us language to describe things that we've always known and lived with, and they can give us context uh, to help us kind of understand how we are different from others and what the uniqueness and the value in those differences really are. Um, Assessments aren't the only way to do this. There are many ways to do this, but this is a really good one that gives us that insight and context. And I personally love the Enneagram. Um, It's one of my favorite tools. It's been most instrumental in my own growth. It's the one that I use with clients primarily that helps them uh, gather a lot of insight about themselves and again, build that language. And I I just want to caveat that to say um, Enneagram is not a test. It's not an online quiz that you go and take and you get an answer. It's truly a self-exploration There are many reasons why the tests are quite inaccurate, but I will say um, that it is incredibly valuable if you're willing to invest the time to find your type, self-identify into it, not let a test tell you what you are. So I will link a couple of resources to get you started 
in the show notes. And another one that I really love is Clifton Strengths. I actually really love this one because it can kind of um, it gives us a, a you know five to ten of our top strengths that we can really dig into a name and start to explore and think about examples of when we've used those things. So those are just two that I really love. Again, I'll, I'll link some resources in the show notes for everybody. Um, as you explore these, I also want you to reflect on how your identity, your upbringing, your unique way of thinking or communicating brings something new, different, and important into the room. We're all a mosaic of nature and nurture, our experiences and our way of being. And I want you to spend some time, maybe make a list of all the things that make you who you are. And then consider how those things can also make you even more amazing in your own career. Thanks so much for listening to Working Your Way. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes, show notes, additional resources, and more at selfatwork.com forward slash podcast.